Hey everybody, today we talk to an expert about the gender roles we see on Angel One. Riker takes it like a man, and we ask the question, how long is too long to wait before starting a search and rescue mission? All that and more, coming up. Welcome to the TNG Podcast, the number one place in the Alpha Quadrant to geek out about all things Star Trek The Next Generation. I'm your co-host, Sharice. Hey, I'm your co-host, Andrea. Sharice, we have arrived already at Season 1, Episode 13. Angel, Are we officially halfway through? I mean... Yeah, I think we are because I think it's Whoa. 26 episodes. Yeah, right. I think Season you're right. one. Um, so holy cow, I can't believe <laughs> we I feel like we just started this and we're already- high fives to everybody. Thank you. Lucky number 13. Right. <laughs> All right. So Angel One was written by Patrick Berry and directed by Michael Rhodes. The star date is 41636.9. So I don't know if you remember last week when we talked about data lore. Um, I said that I'm always giving these like huge plot synopsis, but I'm going to try to do a shorter one. I, I'm going to try one more shorter one and then we'll, we'll see how we feel. <laughs> Go for it. Because <laughs> I, I didn't write a long one. So this is all we got. <laughs> all right. So here we go. Angel one, Riker, Troy, Data, and Yar beam down to a planet ruled by a matriarchal government in the hopes of locating a missing freighter crew. Well put. Well put. And can I add this part I I thought was weird. This freighter crew has been missing for seven years. Thank you. Thank you. And suddenly they send the enterprise to go and get them because they want to reopen negotiations with this planet or something. I was like, I actually had to like rewind and rewatch a couple times. I was like, did I miss, did I miss something? Or did they wait seven years to be like, we're on a rescue mission? What? That was my number one (laughs) note for this whole show. It's like, (laughs) why wait? It's like seven years ago, a freighter crew went missing. They weren't even part of the Federation. We're going to go look for them. Like, what? No. That's some bizarre plot line going on right there. And then I was like, maybe I misunderstood. Maybe it was like seven days. Maybe this is like an emergency. And it was like, no, no, it it was seven years. Maybe this was a really important transport. No, it was just some random freighter, not even part of the Federation. (laughs) And here's the kicker. They know exactly where it crashed. <laughs> that's true. They know exactly where the freighter crashed seven years that's ago. True. Well, actually, they they do when they don't. They do say that Angel One is the closest planet to where like they would have crashed. Gone, yeah, okay, okay, crashed. okay. That's fair. That's fair. But using the using the technology on the Enterprise, it really wasn't very hard for them to be like, oh, they had um, platinum in their communicator badges, so we'll just search for platinum. It was I kind th- of like I feel like that wasn't special to the enterprise. It wasn't like flagship right, level worthy. technology. Yeah, like any like anybody could have done that. But it was because they wanted to reopen negotiations. I think that they sent the flagship to uh. be like the whatever. Um, but yeah, I'll, it was kind of like doing like a Where's Waldo book, but there's no one else in the picture but Waldo. <laughs> and you're like, well, he's right there. <laughs> He's just, he's right there. Oh like, God. I don't know. I, I love know. that so much. Yeah, It's like, found him. <laughs> oh, we'll just, we'll wait four more years to come get them. All right. I'm sure there won't be any complications at this point. So Riker, Troy, Yar, and Data beam down to meet Beata, who's the elected one. And it is a woman-run society. The gender roles on Angel One are in diametric opposition to the gender roles that we see traditionally on Earth. 
Mm-hmm. Especially in 1987 Earth, which surprisingly is not that different from 2020 Earth. Here on Angel no. One, we see this something that feels so shocking to me because it's so dramatically different that not only are the women in charge, but they're physically larger and stronger than mm-hmm. the men. And the men are not only smaller, but they're also like more petite and kind of delicate in mm-hmm. frame. And, um, you know, more provocatively dressed and just, it was kind of like, it was very, very fascinating. It was very fascinating. You know, it reminded me of, um, a scene from like, I don't know, something like Pirates of the Caribbean, where you have like these pirate lords meeting and they have the like scantily clad women like near them, right. To be like showing off as as Mm -hmm. objects or whatever. Yeah. That's totally what it felt like. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. And yeah. And they were smaller, which I thought was funny because the casting must have been like, we're looking specifically for Mm -hmm. like more diminutive men and these like towering Amazon women. Well, or they actually, had a few heels on, maybe. I don't know. <laughs> I Well, perhaps. But I think they just used a lot of camera trickery. Like, if you see in that opening mm-hmm. scene with Beata, with the elected one, and then mm-hmm. her, like, um, Trent. assistant. Trent. Yes, Trent. Poor Trent. He sucks. <laughs> I, 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 I feel like Trent was secretly in love with Beata. Oh, and yeah. Just, just got his heart just handed to him every time you turn around. I, I feel bad for for little Trent. I think also I feel bad for him because he was so tiny. But anyway, with, with the camera trickery, like they put him, he was standing on a pedestal, but also really far behind her. So with the camera oh. angle, it made him look like he was like 5'2", right? Compared mm-hmm. to her. And because the angle of the camera was like low and looking up at her, it made her look like she was like six feet tall. But really, she was probably like 5'7". And really, mm. he was probably like five, six. Like it probably wasn't that big of a difference. Mm. But you notice even in the scene where he like walks in on... Riker and the elected one having a little something, something going on. Oh, spoilers. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Right. Even when he walked in, he looks small. I think a lot of that was them changing the camera angles and stuff like that to make Mm. the guys see. And by guys, it's really Trent. I mean, there's not like a ton of other guys that you see. No, it's Um, Trent. Because even when you see the, um, the uh, freighter crew from the Odin, when Mm -hmm. you see them show up with all their trader people, those guys are all normal size. Like there was only like a handful of guys that were on that ship. But the, when they bring together all the people at the end, it's like 50 people and they're all normal size people. Like the women are not bigger than any of the men. So I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think the casting was good for like Trent and Beata. And then they kind of, kind of went off the rails (laughs) with the casting after that. Yeah. I can see that. I can see that. They're like, we got the two main ones and then everybody else are background players. So it doesn't really matter. So it doesn't really matter. We, we've already established that the guys are smaller. <laughs> you only have to establish that one time. And and honestly, yeah, you're right. And honestly, we're not paying attention to how much smaller the males are in Angel One because we're so drawn to their crazy, like ballerina circus costumes mm-hmm. and those straps that wrap around their butt. Like mm-hmm. <laughs> all of that is like, what? Oh, Just it's the what? Pe- the feeling I had looking at them, I actually felt a little like satisfied. I was just like, yeah, the tables are turned because every time yes. I see a superhero, a female superhero, Ugh. every time, every like, and I love cosplay FYI for all of you listening. I love cosplay and I love playing superheroes, but the challenge for me is every single year for Halloween and every single year for Comic-Con, I have to say to myself, who can I dress like who's not wearing a black leather bodysuit? Yeah. Who, who can I be? Who's not a dominatrix? Yeah. Oh, I can be Wonder Woman. Mm, I kind of don't want to walk around in my bra. So yeah. now I can be no one. Like there's no other options, yes. right? It's either a black leather bodysuit or your underwear. So yes. seeing these guys in these ridiculous 
outfits yeah. was like, I have the same exact feeling that I have when I see women in those ridiculous outfits. Don't get me wrong. They look amazing. Like they work really hard for those bodies and they look yeah. really great in, their, yeah. in those outfits. But it's just always like, come on, guys. Come on. It's really hard to fight crime in six inch heels. Trust <laughs> me on that one. Maybe for you it is. But for me... <laughs> I'm just kidding. No, it's impossible. It's impossible. Come on. Actually on Reddit, there's, um, there's a whole sub thread or like a subreddit called starter packs and they're hilarious. And it's like, one of them was like females in anime starter packs or like female superhero starter pack. And it was just like a super close up of like boobs, like with really tight, clothing <laughs> and then like a super close up of like a butt with like a skirt that's barely covering it and super high heels and a giant long sword. Right. It's like, yeah, that's harder pack for all of these women. Yep. Like, and a really, really, really long ponytail that goes yes, all the way down yes, to like, your shins. Like criminally long hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like way too long. All right. So they're on the planet and Riker has to dress in this traditional male garb. I did not love that Yar is like very xenophobic about it. Mm-hmm. What she says is, quote, dressing like one of them. It's mm-hmm. like, ew, Yar, that's a bad look on you, right? Mm-hmm. And and I love that Riker like knows what's expected of him. He understands that that's his role. Mm-hmm. And he's like, hey, on this planet, I had to dress in feathers. And this other planet, I had to dress in furs. Why wouldn't I have to dress in a ridiculous ballerina circus Mm -hmm. like why Mm -hmm. not so I thought that that was actually kind of not I don't know I wouldn't expect that of Yar Um, I would actually expect maybe this was one of those you mentioned it last week in data lore about how sometimes the characters did things a little bit out of character yeah maybe that was going on here because I actually feel like knowing the character's as how they become that Riker would have been the one to scoff at it and that Yar would have been the one to support it along with Troy is that Riker yeah. would have been the one to be like, why would I wear something like this? And then Troy would have been like, well, remember, it's our duty to blend in with the community. And for him to be like, right, I don't mm-hmm. have to like it, but I'm definitely going to do it because that's my duty. And for Yard to just be like, whatever. You know, like we're here, yeah. like as long as somebody doesn't shoot you, that's all I'm here for. But, <laughs> but it was weird. I feel like they were, because they were doing the role reversal for this episode, they were trying to make Riker being oh. so understanding and like, oh, no problem. And have the women, Yar and Troy being uh. like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you would possibly stoop to wearing something like that when freaking Deanna Troy's boobs are out for seven years straight. Like she of all people would be like, oh, look, now you're wearing my outfit. Why don't you just wear my outfit? You don't even need that one. Yeah. You know, actually, you're right. I didn't think of that, that the role reversal in the storyline could reflect the role reversal between like Yar and Riker. That's actually very sweet. But I feel like it shouldn't. I feel like that should, it should, it didn't fit with their characters. I felt like. No, it it didn't totally, but Riker. So Beata does not want to say if the survivors are there or not. And it turns out that when she's having this like secret fun time with Riker basically comes out that they're, they're like fugitives or some sort, like they're undesirables basically like from their society. Mm -hmm. Um, We don't really hear a whole lot about why until just almost at the very end. And I feel like Riker didn't do his due diligence at that point where it's like, wow, these are some way connected to us. They're not Starfleet, but they're like our freighter people or whatever. Right. They did crash seven years ago. So to be honest, we've been busy having viruses run rampant on the ship, but whatever, whatever. Mm -hmm. Like we're here Mm -hmm. now. We're searching for them. You clearly know that they're here, but you don't really want to like say why. And then it turns out later that they're fugitives or they're like undesirables. Mm -hmm. And he was just like, all right. Like that tracks, like 
wait a second, sir, how are you not immediately like, explain to me like what's going on here? Like there's something obviously going on, but like below the surface, like fugitives, how undesirables, why? But he's so busy in his ballerina outfit and being seduced by this woman that like, Mm -hmm. he's just, he's not thinking, (laughs) he's not thinking straight. And then Trent comes in and he's totally crestfallen. Poor Trent. Yeah, I feel like that was kind of weird too. And I think at that moment, Troy had one of her, you know, um, revelations where she says they're being dishonest or something like that. And we're mm-hmm. like, mm-hmm. Or they're like, they're holding something back. And we're like, yeah, yes, Troy. We, we didn't yes. need you for that, Troy. True. We saw that. Um, but anyways, <laughs> yeah. So, so at the same time, as you alluded to, we've got this virus sweeping through the ship. And we talked about offline about how this is just like a really stupid subplot. Why? And it's like the most yeah. used subplot. It's the, they just, it's actually the most used regular plot too. It's some kind of infection. It's a regular plot. And when it's not a regular plot, it's a subplot. I think almost every episode of our 13 (laughs) episodes has had some kind of virus or infection. So we've got this virus sweeping through the ship and it's just just decimating the crew. And somehow Beverly Crusher is completely unaffected. Well, I mean, it's putting them out of commission, right? Yes. Like they can't even move. It's not killing them. It's not killing them. No, it's but, not killing but them, it's just but it's making, making them... their ship inoperable. It's, they just all have the flu really bad. Yes. Yeah. They all have a really bad flu and the, sh- the ship is now inoperable. And the only one who could pilot it is Data because he can't get, this time he can't get it. He could and naked now, but this time he's, he's good to go. And somehow Beverly Crusher also is immune, which makes no sense to me at all, but whatever, lucky for them, their one and only doctor on the entire ship is completely unaffected by this virus that's tearing through everyone else. Even after she smells the sickly sweet scent, that is the death knell of this virus. She still doesn't get it. She just you know, inhales just a little bit. So she doesn't actually get sick. I don't know. <laughs> okay. But so whatever. I thought of you when I was watching this, because in the naked now you mentioned that Beverly sort of connect the dots being like, wait, you touched her mm-hmm. and then she touched this person. And then this person touched me mm-hmm. and now I've got it. And what you said was think faster, Beverly. Think faster. <laughs> <laughs> because when watching this last night, I was like, think faster, Beverly, like, because now she's like, wait, you got this and she, she touched him and he touched her and he touched, and we all smell the same Klingon smell. Oh my God, it's a rhinovirus or whatever. And then she yeah. starts doing the like, think faster, Beverly. <laughs> cracked me up. I was like, oh my God, this is a Sharice moment right here. Yeah. But crushes to the rescue. Again. Um, Again, again, every, every episode they are saving the ship. So anyways, we, that's the only other things besides the main subplot. You know, there was so much meat on this bone when it came to gender roles that Mm -hmm. were just so fascinating. And we want to go a lot deeper with you guys because you know how we know how Andrea loves her deep dives. I do. But there's only so deep we could go because we're not experts in this topic. So what did we do? We found an expert in this topic. So uh, here we have a little conversation coming up that happened between Andrea and myself and our special guest, where we talked a lot about how these different roles play out in the episode and how they play out in our actual reality. So stay tuned. It's coming up next. Okay, before we start this, I just want to make this quick little disclaimer. So my microphone totally died right before we started this interview. So you're going to hear my sound is a little bit choppy, but nothing to fear. The content is still amazing and you're going to love it. Meet Alex Purdy. Alex geeks out about all things psychology. 
He's experienced in consulting on policy formation regarding sex, gender, and sexual orientation, both within the community and in academic settings. He joins us today to talk about gender roles and how they play out on Angel One. Alex, welcome to the show. Hi, how's it going? (laughs) So excited to be here. So Alex, why don't you tell us a little bit about your background and how that might play into like some of the themes that we touch on in Angel One? Yeah, so, you know, it's kind of interesting um, coming into this episode talking all about um, this female, like, in power society um, and such a flip of the script. Um, you know, I a lot of my experience has been within the LGBT community um, and definitely talking about gender from that standpoint. Um, this is definitely much more of a binary where we have, like, these two genders um, in contrast to each other. And so I think it's just right. so interesting, you know, there's all, always so this, such this like multitude of conversations when we talk about gender. Um, and it was kind of interesting watching this episode, you know, I'm not, I'm not someone that watches a lot of Star Trek, but it was really super interesting watching, uh, this one just to kind of see, um, this kind of perspective on what a, a female society might be. And, um, yeah, it was really, it was really interesting. Yeah, it, you know what? I thought that it was super cool the way that they wrote this as, um, let me take a step back. So in, in quote unquote, in the real world, men have sort of dominated since the beginning of time and mm-hmm. women were hopefully not now, but I still see shades of it. Women were seen in the past as like second-class citizens. So they they make that flip in the show. And I think it's brilliant because- as a woman, I'm just so used to seeing women being treated as second-class citizens that it just sort of feels like, well, that's life until you see that in reverse where like she says like, oh, that computer system or our library is like men are not advanced enough or smart enough. It's like too advanced for men to understand. And I went, what the heck? You know, but then I went, oh, oh, that's right. Because we are treated like that all the time. Well, and all I, the time. that was one of the most fascinating things for me listening to this is like listening to those things. And they certainly, I think whenever you flip the script and show it in a different light, it always kind of makes things stand out a little bit more. Yeah, so notice those things. So when she said that, all of a sudden, like, oh, wow, that was a big moment. However, I'm not sure that if it was the other gender roles, if it was the script that we normally hear, that that would have stood out quite as much. I think today time, like, I think we're, that conversation is moving in that mm. direction more and more that it it would stand out, but it certainly still isn't that rare, rare to hear something like that. Um, and so I just thought that was kind of interesting and definitely just like showing that other side. What, what I thought was interesting about that too, like that same part where the, the elected one was like, oh, this men can't comprehend this. And then you know, data's like, well, I'm an Android. So I'm just a male in make, but I'm actually an Android. And then she's like, oh, how, how humorous, you know, like how cute is that, that you've made a robot in the form of a man? Why would somebody do that? Um, And it's funny because when you see the roles being flipped, the reaction for me as a woman was, oh, this is cool. Like, this is so interesting. Let's Mm -hmm. see how this looks. I feel like if I were a man, my reaction might be different. I might be like offended or something. You know, I might have a different different feeling because I might feel like my personal power is being attacked in this episode versus being a watching this where I felt like, Oh, look, women, women are in charge. That's neat. You know? So what, what were your feelings as a man? Did, did that happen to you while you're watching this Alex? Was there any part of you that was like, what? 
No, um, you know, it's been something like this is this is definitely something, especially within my experiences, you know, like having these conversations quite often. I don't think I I have the same reactions um, that maybe more heteronormative males might have. Um, however, I there were things that stood out to me that that made me like, huh, that's kind of interesting kind of thing. Um, I really thought like the dynamic between, um, and I, I don't know the name, so I do apologize. Um, but the lady in charge, and then um, you have the, the second in command, Riker. Riker, thank you. Um, and the two of them, their dynamic, their very sexual dynamic, I found yeah. really interesting. And I think it was playing off of this idea that um, men in our society are hypersexualized. And so we had this. Um, that flip where all of a sudden the woman became hypersexualized. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you also at the same time had Riker still having a lot of that sexualization of himself because he's coming from a male dominated society. And so I thought that combination was really interesting. And I guess um, ne- not necessarily from a, a male perspective, but from a gay male perspective, that's something that comes up a lot when we have two males or two dominant figures coming in together obviously their relationship must be like super hypersexualized. Um, and so I thought it was really interesting that um, maybe even more from like just an LGBT angle that it, it became a hypersexualized um, relationship. You know, that's a good point. I was actually a little confused by that because I thought to myself, if this society is one in which the women, the females are, are very dominant and they're the alphas and all of that, and you saw her assistant, Trent, he was very like demure and small and, you know, petite. And I was just thinking, well, if the, if this was the society that you were in, right. And if you were the leader of the society, wouldn't she desire a more demure man? Because that's kind of the, the cultural norm. Why would she desire an alpha male in any way, shape or form? So that's kind of what stuck to me is I was like, wait a minute, like for me as an alpha female, I desire an alpha male. However, if I was in a, culture where the 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 desirable version of a male was very demure and like you know kind of your assistant then I would not be attracted to someone who's just like me but with a penis you know I would be repulsed by that person the same way that I am not attracted to some to a man who's super effeminate right because I feel like that our energies are too similar and so they're they're like magnets that are pointing to the same pole and they just push right away so I kind of thought that was like huh that doesn't that doesn't quite jive with me that that would happen. You know, I actually had the exact opposite reaction watching that when I went, okay, she is used to, it's like, for example, I'm about to get super historically geeky, but um, Anne Boleyn, who was the second wife of Henry VIII, like she was like revered as this like gorgeous beauty for having these like sparkly, like dark brown eyes because Mm -hmm. everybody else at the time overwhelmingly had like blue and green eyes. And that's what was considered just the norm. So it stood out. And that was one of the reasons that like Henry VIII was so attracted to her because it was something different than what he was used to. Mm -hmm. So that's what I could see. I could see with the elected one and Riker being like, Ooh, something different. Like, you know, you, you know, you can date 150 of one type of person Mm -hmm. and then see something different and be like, Oh, new this is new I mean that's that's the way that I took that that actually makes sense to me yeah I think it's kind of interesting I think when we look at the 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 amount of media perceptions 
Um, usually when we, we see it, it's usually a male dominated society and a masculine woman comes in. So like we have the Amazonians, right. And like, we get this perception mm-hmm. of these like strong women coming yeah. in and, you know, media usually takes it in one of two ways. One, they, they're hypersexualized where they become feminine. Like the whole story is them becoming more feminized, um, into our society. Mm-hmm. You look at like wonder woman, for mm-hmm. example, like. She, That's she, totally who I was thinking of. She's, oh my God. She starts off super hyper-masculine and then throughout her her arc becomes more feminine, becomes more sexualized, becomes more our typical female. And so I think that's kind of interesting. Um, and then on the other end, if they're so hyper-masculized, they're, they're given these big muscles, those kind of things, they're yeah. seen as like completely non-sexualized. You can't like, and so there's this certain level of transformation mm-hmm. that a female has to take on when they enter a male dominated world. And so I thought it was interesting seeing um, this whole idea where Riker didn't really have to change that much. He changed his appearance with his clothes. Um, he just took off some clothes, which he would have done anyway. <laughs> Let's be honest. Let's be honest. Riker was waiting for an opportunity to take his shirt off. But you know, I will <laughs> say I was really on board with Riker being woke about the outfit when the women were laughing when like Troy and Yar were like tee-hee-heeing at his like skimpy outfit. And he's like, what's the difference? I had to wear furs to meet this like ambassador in this other planet. Like this is the norm and this is what I'm going to do. And I was like, thank you, Riker. So Alex, were there any like did you have thoughts or feelings about the like the fact that on this planet, like the real crux of the problem comes from that these um, survivors are basically like fomenting insurrection because men have no vote, no opinions and no respect. And like the women were basically or the elected one, like she was trying to stamp that out. Like w- what were your thoughts or feelings on kind of any of that? Yeah, I thought it was interesting, um, especially the way they made it made it seem, you know, I don't I in so many ways they were like mirroring our society, at least our history, that kind of thing where, where we, there's like this, this flip, they're using the language, et cetera. Um, however, I don't, I, I thought the, their reasonings for being outside the group weren't as explicit as I thought they could be or whatnot. Um, and so I thought that was just kind of an interesting side note. I don't know. I would have loved to see a little bit more about um, about the experiences that the men had in the world because I think we only really saw other than other than the people that were already outside the society, we only yeah. really saw one experience of of the man, um, and he was definitely seen as more of that that objectivized man, um, where as contrast to the objectified women that we normally see in our culture. So I think, I think that was interesting. I would have loved to dive in deeper to that. I feel like there was way more history to be explored there. And I don't think women ever went off and created their own society or there hasn't been too many instances of that happening. So like that, that female rights, that male rights in this case, um, movement just wasn't seen in the same way. So I thought that would have been really interesting to see some parallels towards our history as far as that would have gone. But I think they still, like in this episode, they still fell victim to the same mentality, which was we have the power and we don't want to share it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Which I thought was interesting. Like she was willing to have these people killed because they wanted a social revolution. And instead of being like, well, this is sort of the natural order of things. Like we work towards equality. It was like, nope, off with their heads. Like (laughs) she was really quick. 
She was quick to be like, and vaporize. Yeah, and that, that's been well-documented throughout history, even today's time, depending on the culture, um, that, that there, there is some very severe consequences for not following the social, social norms of gender. Um, and so, I yeah, I definitely agree that like her reaction to it, I thought was, is, was kind of interesting. Um, and it's definitely that very male, like, I, I guess the, you, you, there's just not as many, like all the representations of female empowerment or power, like powers, I guess, um, mm-hmm. in the media just seems so, so everybody loves each other. And that's what I thought was kind of cool about this representation was that it was definitely female but with the male perspective kind of thing versus this female idyllic, like if females were in charge, everything would be beautiful. Everything would be rainbows, like nothing would yes. be wrong. It's all pure equality. And I thought that was really, it was really refreshing as a script to kind of see. Yeah. And to see that people are people, whether it's the men running the show or the women that are running the show, if you've got a group of people oppressing another group of people, there's going to be conflict. And so that is actually nice that they're showing like, Hey, Yes, the society is working, but also it's not working. And whenever we do stuff this way, there's going to be a time where it just doesn't work anymore. And um, and that was kind of what was going on here, right? As the elected one was just like, well, we told you guys not to do it. We're just going to kill you. I mean, there wasn't there wasn't imprisonment. There wasn't the um, you know, how some some cultures or in TV and stuff, sometimes they'll do like this, this kind of brainwashing, right, where they retrain you to fit yeah. in with society. Yeah, she was like, nope, we don't have time or patience for any of that. We're just going to kill you all. Like, just every last one of you. And they they took their children away. So I guess that was good <laughs> that the children weren't there during that. But they were just kind of like, yeah, I mean, you guys you guys made your bed. You're going to lay in it. And, and I think that that really does reflect human nature very well in a scary kind of way. So as the episode wraps up, it becomes clear that Angel One is on the brink of a cultural revolution, focusing really on gender equality. So Alex, do you feel like as humans, we will ever reach true equality? Like, do you think that's even a thing? So I think, so that last part of that episode, just like, I just sat there and I was like, oh my gosh, this is such an interesting like thought. And just the way they position the two words, like they, I wrote it down even, cause I was like, this is, this is interesting. The position of the two words, evolution versus revolution. There's a lot more questions to that. And I think it comes down to this question of, do we believe that biology can determine everything? You Mm. know, is our biology actually making us hardwired for any of these or is it predisposed? And, you know, psychology always teaches us it's a little bit of both. So I guess my answer to that would be, is that, yeah, we're going to have to fight some of those, any of the, these like instincts to go towards those things. And I also hate to call it an instinct because I do... I, there is so much that is biased in science towards creating this very like division between the two sexes. Yeah. We see that in yeah. a lot of studies, you know, Mendel, I, I, I took this history class that was all about the, the bias in science. We think science is hard, but it's, it's so much less hard and so much less rigid. And Mendel, if you go back to his original writings, he talks about the flower and I don't know my sexual parts of the flower, um, but he talks, I think it's the stamen, right? That's mm-hmm. the like pollen producer. And then mm-hmm. what's the other one? The pistol. The, the pistol. Wait, which one's which? The pistol is the female. The pistol is the female. So he talks about the pistol, how it's flowery and shy and demure and <laughs> and everything. Like, read it. It's fascinating. And then he oh, talks about the pistol, how it's, or not the pistol, the, the, the stamen. stamen, how it's aggressive and 
dominating and wants to procreate. (laughs) And flowers don't have that. Sir Gregor Mendel, that is false. Yeah. (laughs) I could totally see in his writing being like, the pistol enjoys poetry and a lovely afternoon tea. And you're like, what the fuck, dude? (laughs) They're flower parts. They literally exist only to reproduce. And that is it. Like... Exactly. So I think, I guess that's where like. Stamen loves some MMA. <laughs> <laughs> and grabbing beers with his bros. Like, <laughs> Oh, Gregor. So when I read that, I was like, you know, I think we just have like this idea that, you know, science is just so hard and fact. So even as we talk about and think about like these, these studies that show men are this and females are that, it's so biased. I think a lot of those studies are biased by our current culture in the way that they're written, but Agreed. also biased in the way that we grow up. So you can't say that any things are hard and fast. So yeah, to answer your question, I, I firmly believe, and you know, I guess this is where I have my, it, I'll call it my own bias here, that I, I firmly have a vision of us moving forward to a very gender equal society. However, you know, there's always going to be differences. You know, there is biological differences between males and females. And it comes in that question of equality versus equity. Because in any of our conversations that we have about diversity, it always has to come up to equity. We can't treat females as equal because there is a different story. There is a different history. The history of females is different. And we do have to respect that 100% of the time. And so, like, I can only speak so much as a male as to what needs to happen going forward to kind of create a society that will be more equitable to females. You know, it, as it's particularly as a gay male, talking about abortion is really hard. That is not a place for me to talk. That is not like, mm. I don't need to have that part of that conversation because I don't actually have anything to do with any abortion. Yeah. And yeah. so that's, that's where it gets really tricky. And that's where we've got to listen to the voices that are there so yeah, coming back to your question, I really hope so. And I think we have to be a little bit more real about who's allowed into the conversation and who really has nothing to say about the conversation. And so I just think it's interesting. And that that was what was kind of interesting coming into this episode with you all. Like, I'm a male coming into this episode. And I I think that's so cool that I can give my perspective. And I definitely like can bring it back to some of that academic level. And yet I don't have everything to say about um, everything that's, that's here, right? Like that's, that's, this is where the conversation I, we we keep on moving forward. (laughs) Alex Purdy, woke AF male (laughs) to talk about (laughs) gender roles and um, kind of all of that amazing hot mess that was Angel One. Alex, we we just love talking to you and we really hope that you can come back and and talk with us again about stuff like this. Like th- this has been I love that this conversation has started with Star Trek and then it went to like Gregor Mendel and and like Anne Boleyn and Henry VIII. This is what conversation is. Exactly. Agreed. Exactly. Agreed. Oh my this is what conversations were meant to be. <laughs> Take notes, people. Take notes. <laughs> Well, Alex, thank you so, so much for hanging with us today and geeking out about gender roles. Yeah, thank you. I'm so excited to be here. And oh, I would love to have another conversation. You know, this, it was so fun to like watch. I guess this was my first episode. I've watched movies of Star Trek before, but this is my first episode of Star Trek. Oh my gosh. I actually watched. 
So I, that's a good one to start on. <laughs> we cracked the lid here on Star Trek TNG. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So uh, I'm so excited. Let's do this again. He's amazing. We need to have him back on the show. Yeah. Thank you, Alex, so, so much for being on our show. We we just loved it. And like, we're so glad that we can have experts like you on our show, because like Cherie said, like, we're we're not experts. If you are an expert in some Star trek way, mm-hmm. reach out to us, email us, info at the TNGpodcast.com. We're probably going to want to pick your brain um, mm-hmm. and maybe even have you as a guest on our show. You never know. All right, Cherie. So we've kind of hashed out a bunch of these like gender roles um, and like the implications of that with Alex, mm-hmm. which totally rocked. But I want to jump back in to the episode itself. Um, yeah. So, so Beata decides that she wants to execute the survivors if they don't leave with the enterprise crew members. And they decide that mm-hmm. they don't want to. They're like, we've been here for seven years, which spoiler alert, that's what I would have said too. It's like, where, where have you guys been? I crashed seven years ago and I've made like a whole life for myself. So I'm mm-hmm. not leaving at this point. So here's something that I thought was funny. At the start of the like execution ceremony, Beata shows us how deadly that vaporizer is mm-hmm. by having Trent touch like this crystal ball. And then like a vase is vaporized. Yeah, I so same thing. It reminded me of um, Code of Honor, yeah, where the glove flies off of the arena's yeah. hand and stabs that poor extra who was just chilling, watching the fight, hanging out, <laughs> and he gets a little tiny stab and then he dies. And everyone's like, "That sucks." Give her the glove back and just yep. drag his body off. It was that same thing where it's like we need to show how deadly this device is and we need to show what it can do, and we need an object lesson. So let's make a vase disappear. Now, if you were actually in this world and in this culture, we all know what that device oh does. Oh my God. Sharice, and we wouldn't need that. So Sharice, that was just for our benefit. Thank you. I wrote that on my notes and I wrote, uh, removing the fact that like, this is simply for the audience to understand how the vaporizer works. Like everyone who lives on Angel One already knows how this works. We yeah. don't need to demonstrate, like every time a prisoner is executed in the federal system, do you think they do like a, a mannequin execution to be like, well, that's how it works. <laughs> All right, we'll be inmated. Like it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense to do that, which I mean, that took a grim turn, but whatever the point is, like <laughs> we really don't need, we really, really don't need to, to see yeah. that. Vaporized. But for the it's kind of like whenever they put stuff on view screen, right? And we've had this conversation where we're like, yeah, but everything they see is with sensors. They don't use their eyes for anything. They use <laughs> the sensors. True. So it's literally just for the audience to be like, oh. Yeah. So yeah, I did think that too. I was like, that's kind of dumb, but also I guess cool because that shows us that when he's standing there, it's a big deal. That's and true. when he puts his little hand, you know, when Trent puts his hand over the orb, that's a scary moment. Like that gave us the uh, emotional investment to know that he's not just standing there posing. That's but like true. he's being executed in by standing up straight. That's behind, true. You know, next I, yeah. to his lights or whatever. Yeah, I guess that's true. So Riker though has like a little trick up his sleeve. He's like, if they do, if they, you know, don't change their mind, we're just going to mm-hmm. have everybody beamed up to the enterprise. Beverly, meanwhile, is like, I can't allow you to do that because we have this virus running rampant. Number one, and we don't yet have a cure or yes. a, or a vaccine. Because however, she's working on. however, I'm thinking, can't you just beam them somewhere that has a force field or something like, come on now, come on. Well, I think her thing was, she didn't know how it was spreading. So she was like, I don't know where it is or how it's, I don't, I don't know how to protect you from it. I think was the thinking. I mean, I could see that, but also they will definitely die if we don't do something and they Mm -hmm. might die if we beam them aboard. So 
Yeah. Just beam them aboard. Like, but they didn't want to be beamed aboard. And I think that's the other thing mm-hmm. is that Riker was kind of like, we're just going to beam them, whatever. We're going to beam them. We're not going to let them die. Yeah. But they were saying we would rather die for our principles here mm-hmm. in our home than be like beamed away to your ship. Mm-hmm. So there's also that layer, which they didn't really, they could have dug in a little more, but that yeah. layer of like will, free will is like, yes. do we want the, do we want all these people to be murdered? Of course not. Could we just snatch them out and disappear? We could, but that's like not what they want. They want to stay here, which is like, oh, a really tricky situation to be in. Plus, they didn't have their kids. Thankfully, they weren't going to execute the kids, but they took all their kids away. It was just the adults. So yeah. like whether they were beamed off or killed, their kids would be orphaned. So yeah, either way, yay that they didn't die. <laughs> so well, Riker, well, Riker actually like stayed beyond his hand by making this speech mm-hmm. about how what they're doing is not inciting revolution, but evolution. And he's like, you know, the the survivors talking about men's rights um, is nothing new. Like this has already been rippling through your society for a while. They just are like the beacon of light Mm -hmm. that sort of symbolize this change. And so if you kill them, you're not going to stop the change from happening. And you're going to make martyrs out of them, which martyrs cannot be silenced which Mm -hmm. is a very good point. You Mm -hmm. know, martyrs cannot be killed once they're Mm -hmm. already killed. Like, so Mm -hmm. really like you have no, um, you really have no power in the situation. Like, even if you kill them, like you can't stop this from happening. Right. And in fact, you'll make it worse. Exactly. And so Bianca goes away for a couple of minutes with her, with her gal pals. And then she comes back and she's like, okay, so we're not going to execute you. However, we're going to exile you to a remote like Island or some remote part of the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, and maybe it is a evolution, but we can slow it down to a trickle, which in my opinion, I'm going, why, if things are like evolving, why would you want to stop evolution? I, I understand that like from Beata's perspective, she's like, I'm mm-hmm. in power and mm-hmm. I don't want to lose that power. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's like when people fight like, um, computerization of things. It's like, yeah, that's just the way everything's going. And it mm-hmm. sucks if that means your job, I totally get that. But digging your heels in the sand is not going to make it any easier for you. Like it's, that's not, that's probably not going to be the way that like you're going to move forward. Yeah. I think it was, it was a fear of losing power on Beata's part of definitely saying we're going to exile you. And then by the time that I die and I am out of power, maybe there'll be a new norm, but won't bother me because I won't be here anymore. So yeah, Eh. I, I see what you're saying. It's like change with the times, but that's really hard for those in power to do. Yeah, that's true. Because the times are very much, the times are very much in their favor. And this is true whenever someone gets power, that, that, that having that power is in their favor. So people are going to do way more to keep their power, you know, out of fear of losing it than anyone would ever do to get power. It's that fear of loss. Mm -hmm. That's actually very astute. Um, So they're not being executed. They can stay on the island on the planet. We, um, oh, I had some funny little thought Uh, when data says. I didn't go to the neutral zone because you told me to like stay here until the last minute or whatever. Mm-hmm. He says, he goes, that means Dr. Crusher has 48 minutes to come up with an inoculant. And that cracked me up. Like you could not have been more unrealistic. Like, can you imagine Sharice working in a lab and being like, you have 48 minutes to come up with a cure. <laughs> There's no way. 
It this takes 48 like... minutes to set up an experiment, <laughs> yeah. not even to run it. But I actually, um, I love TV magic like that. Like I love watching CSI, especially as a, as a scientist. I love yeah. watching CSI because I'm like, man, by the end of this 45 minutes, not only is the crime solved and the bad guy arrested, but every single piece of evidence has already been processed. Like yep. the DNA has come back, like everything. I mean, in real life, this would take forever. And like justice this- would be served. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So I actually like TV magic for science because it's like, oh, an inoculate in 48 minutes and it works in like three seconds. That's so great. That cracked me up. Okay. Uh, Going back to my marine bio days working in the lab, I had an experiment and this is not abnormal for scientists. One round of one experiment took like eight plus hours to run. Mm-hmm. And that's not even that abnormal. I'm sure you had stuff like that before. Like a gal oh, I worked sure. in the lab with had like mm-hmm. 12 hour experiments. So from start to finish, you're not leaving the lab for 12 hours. And that's just one round. And in order yeah. for it to be replicable, you have to do like dozens of those and then compile the data and then statistically analyze the data and then yeah. come up with like possible reasons why and then run it multiple times, like 40 and then graph minutes. it. Because yeah. that's what makes it scientific. You got to graph it. Throw that in a table or something. <laughs> yeah, you have to run your statistical analysis. Like it's a it 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 takes months and months and months and months to get and to be honest, anywhere. it'd be no fun to watch. It would be no fun to watch all no, of that. No, but Beverly <laughs> Beverly is just like boopily boopooing away, right? Yep. She's you know hypo spraying left mm-hmm. and right, mm-hmm. and like and then everybody's fine. Which that cracked me up. That cracked me up. I was like, this is not how. So- okay, <laughs> I just gave up. <laughs> I just gave up. So we're back on the Enterprise. Captain Picard is back at the wheel, so to speak, but he doesn't have a voice. I thought that was kind of cute when he's trying to say engage and he can't. Yeah. Before <laughs> that, though, okay, before that, um, I had a thing on my notes that said, who beamed data up if there was no one in the transporter room? And Beverly well, was, was, you know, toiling away inside of sick bay. I was like, wait a minute. Everybody on the ship apparently is out of commission except for this one person, which is Crusher. And the data's just like, I'm just going to beam up. Okay, no, beam up. No, I think she I think she said it's taken out more than a third or more than half of the crew. So it looks like it took out the whole bridge crew. But the entire crew, like... Oh, there were still you know, some people walking yeah, around. Oh, yeah, okay. there were still some people. And also, don't forget, as we saw in the like with the Ferengi episodes, they can just beam right onto the bridge, right onto their bedroom, right onto the bathroom, <laughs> like anywhere. They could just... They can just beam. I know he can beam anywhere. I was just wondering who was doing the beaming. I was like, isn't everybody on the whole entire ship sick? But yeah, that makes more sense. (laughs) Well, I think um, it's always a pleasure to have a guest on our show, um, and especially one so knowledgeable. Um, And next week, we are diving into the Binars, which is a new alien race we haven't seen before. Um, In, and this is the episode title, (laughs) 11001001. Which is awesome. That is a great title. (laughs) Yeah, it sure is. So stick with us. And next week, um, we're going to have some more fun with you guys. Yeah, we'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Thanks for geeking out with us. Be sure to join the crew at thetngpodcast.com to be the first to know when we do our live shows or host events exclusively for our members. We'll see you next time.